Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 10 this morning, Mark chapter 10. We're back where we began last week. I did not finish it. Matter of fact, I just introduced the, the series uh, or this uh, sermon that will probably be two-part, maybe three-part, on the Lord's defense and declaration of marriage or what about divorce. Amen? All of you got nervous then, I can tell. But uh, I love to preach the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, because nobody can ever accuse me of just preaching a sermon to some individual. So I never shoot a twenty-two. I shoot a shotgun, amen? If it hits you, it hits you, amen? And usually uh, when you throw a rock in a group of dogs, the one that gets hit is the one that yelps. So everybody be real quiet after the service or we know you got hit, amen? But, uh, and I wouldn't care, compare y'all to the dogs and you wouldn't care... Please don't compare me to a dog owner, but uh, which I am. I appreciate your prayers this week. I tell you what, we drove all day yesterday, and I thank God for the wisdom of the pastor not to have morning sessions. We ended it Friday night, but boy, did God bless. He said it was the best retreat they've ever had, and um, I appreciate that. But Wednesday night, God really blessed on praying together. That message I preached a couple of weeks ago from praying together, so I, I, t- I don't take it for granted that you're praying for me when I'm preaching. Uh, couples retreats are very, very challenging and demanding, and uh, you want to have the messages. I preached on drawing heaven into your home. I wanted to preach on uh, an original thought, love and respect, <laughs> but I didn't uh, since we just got out of it. But you know, uh, the Word of God's always timely. Uh, by the way, uh, this, this past Friday, uh, Brother Darrell, he was about 35 years old, but uh, my spiritual birthday, he reminded me, see, I'm getting that old, I've, I don't even realize it was my spiritual birthday because I didn't know what day it was. I mean, when you're in the middle of South Carolina and you drove from North Carolina and uh, we didn't get into 2 o'clock uh, Thursday morning from the service uh, Wednesday night, uh, you just don't even realize, you don't even know where you're at, much less what day it is. But I was saved on March 15th, 1964. That's 55 years ago. I saved when I was two. No, really. <laughs> Six months old, hallelujah. Was the first youngest child in Wesley Hills Baptist Church. And then uh, this uh, coming Saturday, I'll be married 45 years. 45 years. She, I married a young girl, amen. And um, uh, we went by yesterday to the old building uh, in Wesley Hills Baptist Church, and now it's a cult center called Baja or something. I don't know. Ask Brother Jeremy. He'll tell you what they believe. But it's a, it's a cult, and uh, my church moved out to Covington, Georgia, a few blocks from Brother Tony's church, and it's called the Rock Baptist Church now, amen? And Mike Franklin, who built that first pulpit that we still have out, out here in the hallway, he's the pastor out of Wesley Hills Baptist Church. So this message is very timely for me. I'm coming out of two couples retreats. I got a four, 45... 45-year anniversary this Saturday. Uh, it's all on marriage. I told my wife a long time ago, if she left me, I was going with her. <laughs> amen. Y'all get that later, amen. Come on, amen. And, uh, you know, and, uh, and so I like preaching on, uh, uh, on marriage that's permanent and that it's ordained of God and it's blessed of God. But the Lord uh, has to deal with divorce here because of the Pharisees trying to take Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 out of context. And they said he, uh, Moses commanded to get divorced. 
He didn't command nothing. He permitted it. And I'll show you that. And so a lot of people get real nervous and about that word divorce. I think you ought to take it out of your vocabulary when you get married. Amen? I believe you ought to stay married, enjoy marriage. But if you do go through the trauma of divorce, you're not a second-class saint. And there is two grounds, I believe, for remarriage. I'll prove it scripturally. And uh, I really have been uh, probably not too hard on this in my past. Because I believe all independent Baptist preachers want to preach so hard against divorce so people will not get divorced. But I want to tell you something. One out of two people get divorced anyway, no matter how hard you preach on it. And I want to tell you something, friend. It's God's plan for you to have a wonderful marriage, a covenant relationship, a holy vow to God, and be married till death do you part. I didn't say to debt do you part. I, I dealt with that at the retreat. Um, I'm, talking about, I'm talking about to death do you part. And I want to tell you this, it's not a death sentence, <laughs> amen. Boy, if I have to be married to that old woman for 100 years, I'm going to be in trouble. No, that shouldn't be the attitude. By the way, why did you marry her in the first place, amen? Then also I want to exhort the singles this, this morning and probably tonight, I'm not sure how long it'll take, and this introduction takes any longer, I'll be in it for about three weeks, but uh, I want you to be careful about who you marry. I want you to pray about it. I want you to not get married in two months. Amen? It took me four years to propose to Miss Connie. That's too long. She could have married 15 people in that time, and I would have been a very lonely person tonight. And especially if I'd married some grumpy pastor's wife that didn't love nobody. I wouldn't have been here, amen? I'd be out painting stripes on the road or something, you know? So thank God for my wife. I tell you, she's very patient. And uh, she, she blessed me this morning. I lost my wallet. I can't find it. That's why I was late for the leadership meeting. I apologize for that, but you just don't feel secure without your wallet, you know. And so she came in late for Sunday school. I know she's been looking for it. And I said, did you find it? She said, no. And she smiled at me and says, but I'm going to buy your lunch. <laughs> she's going to buy my lunch because I ain't got no money. And so <laughs> I ain't even got a card, amen. So, you know, that's the kind of wife I married. Praise her. She's going to buy my lunch because I can't keep up with my wallet. So uh, I'm glad to be married to a rich woman. Anyway, let's go, to, <laughs> let's go to Mark chapter 10, okay? Mark chapter 10. That'll probably be the last time you laugh or smile during this message, so I want to make sure that you loosen up a little bit, amen? Stand on the Word of God, Mark chapter 10. How many appreciate that I don't skip a verse? Say amen. Okay, good. That'll help me. And he arose from thence and coming through the coast of Judea upon the farther side of Jordan, and the people resorted unto him again, as he was wont, he would taught them again. The Pharisees came to him and asked him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? That's where we get the word divorce. He taught them again, excuse me, uh, tempting him. Now there's a key. They didn't really care about this doctrine of divorce. They just wanted to trick Jesus and trip Jesus up. Herod was the king who had been divorced, uh, to his uh, brother's wife. And John lost his head over it. So the Pharisees' main goal was to get Jesus out of the way. So don't think it's a doctrinal question. It was a devilish question. But here it is. And he answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? They said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and put her away. And Jesus answered and said to them, for the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. 
And Jesus answered and said to them, For the hardness of the heart, He wrote you this precept, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Can somebody say amen right there? And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, there's priority, and cleave to his wife, that's permanence, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man, let not man put asunder. Now the Lord's saying this, I'm not. And thank God that He said it. So I'll repeat it. And in the house, His disciples asked Him again. They could not believe this teaching of the same manner. And He said to them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committed adultery. And folks, that blew their mind because in the Bible days, a woman was never allowed to divorce a man. But a man could divorce a woman. And so in this text, besides preaching on marriage, the permanency of it, the beauty of it, the wonder of it, the blessing of it, He's preaching about divorce, but he's also preaching that ladies are not second-class saints. I'm tired of Hollywood saying that the Bible is chauvinistic and the God is chauvinistic. Folks, the only reason that women have any rights is because of Jesus. And folks, the Bible says that women are equal to men in Galatians and all religious things. The Pharisees did not believe that. And they believed that a woman could be cast out by just saying, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And the Romans were sometimes married to 14 to 20 women in a lifetime. Could I ask you before you're seated, where's the Roman Empire today? It does not exist. So the foundation for a great nation is how we appreciate and understand marriage. Folks, it's the foundation of this church. All we are is a collection of marriages, families. And so I want you to pray with me while I preach this message. And I'll preach uh, point two uh, this morning, and I hope it will be a blessing to your heart. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for this good attendance this morning. I was a little worried at 11 o'clock, but Lord, they came in. I thank God for it. And I pray, dear Lord, that you give me uh, wisdom and grace to preach a very sensitive subject. And Lord, I'm not here, as I said last week, to hurt anybody. Because anybody that's been through the trauma of divorce, they've been hurt enough. And they got enough scars. But God, I'm here to help. I'm here to help the next generation. And I'm here to help us realize that, dear God, we need to conclude the past and not let it poison the present and ruin the future and go on for God no matter what's happening in our life. So Lord, I pray, dear God, that you'd help us to have grace, to study the Word of God in context, and realize what this divorce question is all about. But more important, dear God, what marriage is all about. And we're going to praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Number one, I brought out last week, and some of y'all were asleep, so you, let me repeat it because of Time Change Sunday. Next, next Time Change Sunday, remind me of this now, we're going to have an a, uh, ice-cold cooler out there full of Mountain Dew. Okay, That's going to be on Time Change Sunday in the spring. And everybody's welcome for a free Mountain Dew. Okay, I gave that up uh, several months ago. But the Pharisees were attacking Jesus. 
uh, they were maliciously attacking him. That's what the word tempt means. And they wanted to trick him because there was two philosophies of the day. Shammai uh, was taught that it was lawful to, to uh, uh, divorce someone. Uh, you know, it was one of the rabbis named Shammai taught that only lawful reason a divorce could be granted was for adultery. Uh, the law commended that adulterers were put to death, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. I wonder why so strict in the Old Testament. I believe what the Lord was trying to say, and I'm not trying to put words in His mouth, but I believe He was saying that it's important to take marriage serious. And folks, uh, that, that's very serious. Then there was another guy named Heliel, H-I-L-L-E-L. -L -E -L. He, he held the liberal point of view that all the Pharisees loved and all the sinners love, that you could divorce your wife for burning a meal. God help us, man. How many has ever burned a meal? Amen. I, do, I made the mistake when we first got married of putting the smoke alarm too close to the stove. I don't think she's going to buy my meal anymore if I don't, if I don't change subjects real quick. Amen. But... um. Uh, they, they'd put away a wife for uh, too much salt on it, on their meal. They'd put a wife away because uh, he, she spoke evil of her mother-in-law. <laughs> I shouldn't even laugh at this. this is, uh, and then let me get a little more serious. She, she, they put away a wife for being infertile. Uh, all these reasons uh, that they found somebody prettier. And so folks, divorce was out of hand to say the least because of this wicked philosophy of one of their staunch leaders called Hillel. And so the Pharisees were uh, strict in all areas, but they were very liberal when it came to women. And they treated them like slaves. So get the picture in these Bible days. And so the, 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 the law of Moses, Moses had to, to get, grant a bill of divorcement. And I'll read you one in just a minute, but I'm going to show you what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 24 one through four, about this bill of divorcement. But I want you to look at verse three through nine this morning. And it says, He answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses suffered or allowed to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away, to have a divorce. It said, put her away, not put us away. No lady could divorce a man. Now isn't that uh, terrible uh, 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 women libbers would have a Fill day with that today, amen? But the Lord set it straight. Now we're Adam Ribbers, say amen, not women Libbers. But look at verse 8, or verse, uh, excuse me, verse uh, 4. It says, and, and he said, Moses suffered a bill of divorce. But look at verse 5, and Jesus answered and said to them, For the hardness, here it is, of the heart, he wrote you this precept, or this bill of divorcement. And from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. And this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. He said the same thing in Matthew 19 that we're going to in a minute. But look at verse 9. He says, What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. So here's the Lord's answer. He said, hey listen, let's go back to the beginning. Let's don't go back to the, uh, what the uh, Hillel says and what... Uh, Shammai says, he says, what, what does God say about marriage? And he begins to give the most beautiful definition, which is found in 
Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, and Matthew chapter 9, that we leave, cleave, and be one. We leave, cleave, and be one. The word cleave literally means glued together. And you know, I want to tell you something, friend. Uh, I, when, I, when I hear that word glued together, I think about liquid nail. <laughs> uh, and I think about plywood that's that particle board, brother um, uh, Travis. I don't know if you ever use that stuff or not. But you know, if you pull these two things apart after you liquid glue, what happens? L half of it's left behind. And I just want to say this. When you get a divorce, half of you is left behind. It's a trauma. It's a trial. And I know some of you right now are tearing up when I just mention that because I know what you're going through. But I want to tell you something, friend. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not here to put you down. I'm not here to do anything but preach the Word of God. But I must preach to the next generation that they not enter in marriage flippantly and they realize that God's design, God's design is permanence. God's design is that we marry for a lifetime. That's God's design. And we got to admit that. And all you that's been through the trauma of divorce, and it is a trauma, you ought to say amen louder than anybody else because the next generation needs to hear that marriage is forever. And it's not a life sentence. It's a joy. I can't imagine uh, Miss Connie not being in my life. She's a joy. She drove a couple hours yesterday. She's a joy. And she's always there to back me up in all these uh, couples are preaching. Sometimes I preach the same lesson. Like la uh, last Friday night, I preached on um, uh, the emotional affairs that you can have. And she's heard that ten times. I know, but she's just sitting there nodding, helping me. She didn't go to sleep like some of y'all do. She was just, she was just, she was very attentive, and she could have, she could really have. But uh, she's always supportive. I appreciate it. the Pharisees based their argument on Deuteronomy. 24, 1 through 4. Let's turn there. Last week I didn't turn to anywhere. I just sort of laid the foundation. And you're going to see some shocking verses. I'm going to give you one where it says that uh, God granted a divorce. Look at Deuteronomy 24. It says, When a man has taken a wife and married her, and it comes to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he has found some uncleanliness in her. Now that's not immoral. That word uncleanliness means she might not tidy the house up enough. It's not, uh, it doesn't refer to adultery or fornication. Because Deuteronomy 22, verse 20 through 22 says that if it was adultery, she'd be dead. That's exactly what Deuteronomy 22, you look at it later, 20 through 22 says. But it says, Then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand. Because see, they were, they were sending out all these women 14, 15 times because they just said, you're divorced, and they were looked at as harlots. And it was degrading to women. And it says this, and he sent her out of his house. Now listen, verse 2, it says, And when she had departed out of the house, she may go and be another man's wife. That shocks the independent fundamental movement right there. Listen to this now. And if, it, it, and if the latter husband hate her and write her a bill of divorcement and give it to her hand and sendeth her out of his house of a letter of husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which sent her away, divorced her, may not take her again to be his wife after that she is defiled, for that is abomination, abomination for the Lord, and thou shalt not cause the land to sin 
which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. There was a movement going on about 10 years ago. The church of God said that every person that was divorced should leave their wife and go back to the one that they divorced. The Bible tells me that's abomination. That's multiplying the problem, say amen. I mean, some people take the Bible out of context, or some people don't even take the Bible and make up their own little rules and regulations and say, you, you got to do this. And boy, it disturbed the whole church back then. The Jews interpreted and taught that divorce was an obligation because they, we see that they said clearly they do, uh, they com, uh, the Lord commands us to get a divorce. Or Moses commanded them. And this bill of divorcement meant uncleanliness, not fornication. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 20. I'm going to go ahead and read it and take my time. It says, But if this thing be true, and the tokens of virginity be not found for the damsel, this is this betrothal thing that everybody thought that that's what divorce always meant, but I'll tell you what, I don't believe it did, does now. Because look at this, it says, Then they shall bring her the damsel to the door of her father's house, and the men of the city shall stone her with stones, that she die because she hath wrought folly in Israel to play the whore in her father's house. So shall thou not uh, thou put evil away among you. It's saying on the betrothal time, when they found out the virgin was not a virgin, they wouldn't divorce her, they'd kill her. That's, that's, I'm glad we don't live in those days, say amen. There'd be a lot of stoning going on around uh, America. The word speaks of this uncleanliness, speaks of an immodest act in Deuteronomy 24. It doesn't speak of adultery. And folks, I want to tell you something. They were putting away people for all kinds of reasons, the hardness of their heart. So rather than commanding or condoning divorce, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1 through 4, was given to control divorce. Don't you ever think that I'm condoning divorce. Don't you ever think that this message is trying to make it easy for you to get it out. Folks, I'll try to make it as hard as I can for you to stay with your woman, but it shouldn't be uh, an obligation. It ought to be a privilege and an honor, and it ought to be a wonderful adventure, and it ought to be a oneness that's so precious that you don't want out, say amen. And that's the kind of husband you ought to be. And that's the kind of wife you ought to be. You ought to make it so pleasant and so wonderful. Praise God, he doesn't want to leave. My wife don't want to leave. She thinks I'm the best husband she could ever have, amen. Shake your head right there. Okay, okay. I had to wake her up on that point, amen. But anyway, he wasn't condoning it or commanding it. He was condoning it. The hardness of your heart, verse 5. Every divorce occurs because of sin. Sin in the hearts. Uh, for one or maybe both, it's sin. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, will you turn with me please? I'm going to show you every verse because I, I don't want you to think that this is anything close to Schofield or Cofield theology. This is Bible. Look at Malachi. Let's go to Matthew and back up a couple of spaces and you'll find uh, Malachi. And I want you to look at uh, the Malachi chapter 2. And I want you to, I didn't mark this, I'm sorry. I'm wasting time trying to find Malachi. But Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, please. The Bible says this. It says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that He hateth putting away. 
One covereth violence with his garment, saith the Lord of the host. Wherefore, take heed to your spirit, that you deal not treacherously. My Bible tells me God hates divorce. Now, I want to say there's a big difference in uh, hating divorce and hating the divorcee. You're not a second-class saint. Matter of fact, you're not living in adultery. You might have committed adultery, but God will forgive adultery. We sometimes, not we, I hope it's not us, but I know some churches that it's easier to join a church as an ex-convict and murderer than a divorcee. That's right. And I want to tell you something, friend. There is no sin that God will not forgive except the unpardonable sin of, for the last time, rejecting the grace of God and going to hell because you rejected the grace of God. Folks, He forgives all sin. But folks, that doesn't make sin easy. And it makes it very hard. I'll give you some statistics about the uh, children. I'm preaching on children tonight because uh, it's right in context in the next few verses. What it does to the next generation if you divorce. I'll show you some statistics. The ancient Israel divorce was out of control. They could say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. I don't know if they got laid louder on every phrase or what. Maybe they wrote it down. I divorce you. I don't think they did. They just said it. And then uh, the common bill of divorcement read like this. Let this be from me thy, thy right to divorce and the letter of dismissal and the deed of liberation, that thou mayest marry whatsoever man thou wilt. In latter days they became far more complex, but the intent was the same. The law of Moses gave them, uh, gave them was was given to control a sinful system, a sinful system of refusing to honor God's ideal of marriage. Look at verse 6 through 8, and you'll see that the Lord goes back to creation. He doesn't go back to the law. He goes back to creation. The Lord said this in verse 6, Matthew, Mark chapter 10, from the beginning of the creation God made male and female. And, this call, and for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. That shows the priority of marriage. You should not live with your in-laws unless you're broke. Amen. And then you ought, to get, you ought to get some money to move out as soon as you can. Because, friend, I'm going to tell you something. No woman wants to share her home with another woman. That's right. I mean, there's a priority. Your marriage comes first. You've got, to, you've got to cut the apron strings, men. You've got to grow up when you get married. Say amen. You can't call mama every day. And I want to tell you something. You can't go back to mama, ladies, every time something happens. That's why you ought to be sort of, you know, rustling the, uh, the eaglet's nest and make, helping them grow up a little bit. Say amen. Because one day they're going to come back and say, he hurt my feelings. And then you're going to go shoot him. And then, and then you're going to be in jail. And I'll tell you something, friend. God help us. God help us to realize that, that uh, the priority is, is one woman, one man, and it's not just the in-laws, and it's not just, it's, it's just a priority. It says, and leave his father and mother. That don't mean you just own them. That means you love them. Matter of fact, you got a son, they got a son-in-law now to cut the grass. Hallelujah. Amen. But it says cleave to his wife. That's a picture of oneness. That's why, listen, that's why adultery is such a terrible sin. Because physical oneness is an expression of spiritual oneness and emotional oneness. You get, you get me now? 
And folks, they were one flesh does not mean they just went to bed and had sex. It means that, hey, thank God. That's why, hey, listen, that's why it's for only in marriage too. This premarital sexual revolution going on, it'll ruin your marriage. There's a lot of people that's married a bunch of bozos because they went to bed with him. I mean abusers. I mean crazy. I mean wicked. I mean not faithful because they got pregnant. Folks, a baby is not a reason to get married. Love is a reason to get married. Adopt that baby out. Don't get pregnant. And folks, I want to tell you something. Premarital sex messes everything up. Y'all didn't think y'all was going to get this on Sunday morning, did you? Amen. That's why I wanted to preach it last Sunday night. But anyway, folks, listen to me in all, in, all, in all candor. The Bible says cleave. And that is an intimate word, and they were one flesh. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, before Satan showed up and tempted them all and dropped, dropped all the allegiance and closeness, that they were naked and were not ashamed. Anything else is a shame. But we live in a culture... That Hollywood amplifies it, magnifies it, and says, Whoa, uh, old Slick Willie is on his fifth marriage, and he's breaking up with so-and-so, and, and it's big news, and it's so sad, and it's so disgusting that Hollywood cannot keep their marriages together, and some young people look up to them as the standard for excellence. Folks, listen. He said in Genesis 1, Be fruitful and and multiply and replenish, but he also said that God created male and female in his image, and that they were to be one. And folks, I'm going to say, he did not say one man and several women. He said one man, one woman. It was not to be two men and two women. It was to be one man and one woman. It was not to be man and man, or woman and woman. I think it's disgusting that our nation even votes. Everybody's applauding the Methodist church for uh, voting on it. I think it's disgusting to have to vote on it. Say amen. amen. And to fight for it. Thank God they voted the right way. It was because the African Methodists came over that conservative and said, hey, listen, we're going to have uh, no same-sex marriage in the Methodist church. But I want to tell you something, folks. The Bible says it's abomination. It means to be glued together. A married couple must... Become one in their goals, in their direction, in their will, in their emotions, in their minds, in their spirit. And then they express it sexually. And that's when it's wholesome. That's when it's right. It's a perfect emblem of oneness. It's communication, as Brother Tony said. How would you ladies like your husband never to say a word for you for about one month? But I'll tell you, I'll add to that. How would you like your husband never to touch you except in bed? For one month. So that's how man thinks. We think different. We're microwaves, they're crock pots. It takes a long time for them to warm up. I didn't say crack pots. I said crock pots. Folks, if you don't hug in the kitchen, don't expect hugging in the bedroom. Say amen. Come on. Young people, don't blush. You've heard more of this in college and high school, college, high school and all this, and it's perverted. You're going to hear the truth this morning. Folks, listen, they said they were one flesh, but that don't mean anything but this. When you consummate marriage, you're saying we're one spiritually, we're one emotionally. That's why a marriage without God is hopeless. A marriage that doesn't put God first, you'll never make it. You will be a statistic of tragedy. And every one of you that suffered the, the trauma of divorce, you know you was backslidden 
when you got married or when you got unmarried. Or somebody was, say amen. He wasn't your spiritual leader for sure, amen. So sin is to blame. It is sin for a believer to marry a lost person. But marriage is still valid. We'll, we'll discover that in just a minute. Divorce and remarriage are never commanded or commended in the Word of God. It's merely permitted. It's merely permitted. And there is biblical grounds for divorce. And I'm going to give you two of them this morning. Two of them. And I want you to know that God's ideal for marriage is one woman, one man for a whole lifetime. And it's not your place, let not man put asunder, for you to rip a marriage apart because you can't get along. Now let me just say this real quick, and I'll, 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 I'll try to get to some verses. The disciples were amazed at this. Especially when they said that a woman could get a divorce. That, that it was adultery. Because they'd been taught through Hillel that anything a man didn't like or didn't want, they could just say, you're, you're out. And so I want you to see what Jesus did. And I will tell you this, friend, the Pharisees did not get what they came after. But the disciples were confused. They took him out by himself, verse 10. And when the in the house, his disciples asked him again of the same matter. He said, would you please repeat that? We, we have never heard something like this. And he said unto them, that's his disciples in private. It's good to get sometimes counsel in private. Amen. Don't bring it up in front of the church. And whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband, whoo, they could have never heard that, and be married to another, she committeth adultery. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. In fact, if you read Matthew's account, um, in Matthew chapter 19, let's turn there real quick. Uh, and I want you to look at verse 9. Matthew verse 9, 19 verse 9. And I say unto you, whatsoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now folks, we see that... Uh, uh, they're asking him a question, and God has a higher view of marriage than even society has. Jesus wants everyone to know that marriage is to be a lifelong covenant between a man and a woman. Above all, your relationship with Christ ought to be the greatest relationship, but second of all, your relationship with your bride pictures his relationship with his bride. Amen. That's what marriage is all about. It's not about you. And it's not about him, and it's not about her. It's about God's glory when you're married. Amen. It's about picturing Christ's love for the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. And Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through 33. That's why that's a respect and love. There's a love that God gives you, but there's also a respect or submission that the church ought to have for the, for the Lord, and it's pictured in marriage. So I'm going to say this, and I'm going to say it very honestly. God does not like His picture to be messed up. He doesn't like His type to be messed up. If you don't believe it, ask Moses when he struck the rock twice, and he's only supposed to strike it once because it's picturing salvation. He didn't go into the promised land for that problem. He messed up God's typewriter. It was a type of salvation. He's the rock. 
And so it's an awesome thing to be married. It's an awesome responsibility. Marriage should be based on mutual love, mutual submission. It ought to be a relationship that pictures Christ's love for the church. What happens in the aftermath of divorce, though? That's what I want to know. That's what we're going to focus on the rest of the message. And tonight, I can tell you that, because right now it's 12.05, and all of you want to get home by 1. But in verse 11 through 12, uh, I want you to see what it says. It says you're guilty. Uh, It says Jesus made a straightforward statement about divorce. He says that neither a man nor a woman divorced their mate and married another person. If they do, they're guilty of adultery in the eyes of God. That's far from the philosophy of the day. The people who hold this view look on remarried people as adulterers, living in a state of adultery. That's not right. They might have committed adultery, but if they've asked forgiveness, they're just as forgiven as you are. Amen. And so, uh, I want you to look at this. Malachi 2.16 already established that God hates divorce. But I want to show you two interesting verses about when God, God hates divorce, but He Himself was divorced. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 50, verse... One, Isaiah chapter 50, verse 1. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement, whom I have put away? Said the Lord put away. Listen to this. And which of my creditors, as it is to whom I have sold you, behold, for your iniquities have you sold yourself, and for your transgressions is your mother put away. He's talking about this Israel. I turn to Jeremiah chapter 3, that's next door, not very hard to find. Chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8. Please look at this, because you're not going to believe it unless you look at it. And you've read it a thousand times and you overlooked it. But Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 8. The Bible says, And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away. The word put her away means divorce. I had put her away and given her bill of, and given her a bill of divorcement. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. Now folks, God's patience ran out with Israel and their idolatry, and He divorced them. He divorced them spiritually. There's coming a day when God will restore that relationship. Thank God for that. And I want to say this, any of you that's been through divorce, if you can reconcile, that's God's will and that's what He wants. If you can reconcile, God's for it. Amen. Hey, I'll just be honest with you, God's for forgiveness, no matter what anybody's done. Even if you have grounds to put them away, God wants forgiveness. God's patient is long-suffering. But I want you to look at Matthew chapter 19, verse 9 now, and I'll show you the exception clause. I didn't write this. I didn't believe it for several years. I thought it was just on the betrothal. And there's several great commentaries that still believe that. And you take what you want, and we, we can disagree with this, and most preachers do disagree with this. But I want to tell you something. I see in Matthew chapter 19, 9, there is an exception clause. Now, don't you look for a way out of your marriage. Because even if this person has committed this sin, you ought to forgive and try to go on and restore the marriage. Get some counseling. I had a preacher call me up with tears right before I left the uh, 
for the marriage retreat, and it made me want to preach and teach more than ever. He said, my daughter, my precious daughter, 21 years old, needs help. I said, what, what is it, sir? I said, where do you pastor? He told me where he pastored up in Tennessee. I don't know how he got my name. Yeah, I do. I'm marrying his other daughter uh, in June. That's what it is. And um, uh, uh, the ceremony. I don't need to be marrying another one. Amen. But anyway, one time a lady called me up at 4 o'clock and said, would you marry me? I said, woman, I'm, I said, lady, I'm already married. I can't marry you. She said, yeah, I know. You know what I mean. I just uh, performed the ceremony. And I said, well, well, let's talk about it. I said, when do you want to get married? He said, 6 o'clock. <laughs> Guess what I said? No. But anyway, all right. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9. I'm really too relaxed during preaching this. It says in verse 9, And I say unto you, Whatsoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now who said that? Jesus. He said, except for fornication. Now wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. A lot of you said, okay, I got it. <clears throat> he did it in his mind. I saw him flirting with that secretary. I got him. You're out. No, that's not what that means. The word fornication comes from the uh, Greek word pornea, which means where we get the word pornography. And you know pornography is addictive, it's aggressive, and you just can't put it down, you that have your secret little computers. It's the worst thing for marriage there is, is pornography. Because your wife can never live up to that ungodly standard. Come on, say amen. <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you something. A lot of you men have had problems with it in this room. Because the statistics tell us it's about out of one out of three men have a problem with it, in church or out of church. Maybe we're all holy and we don't have problems. Anyway, the word pornea means this. It encompasses every kind of illicit sexual sin possible. Adultery, homosexuality, Lesbian, pedophiles, bestiality. I mean, some of the ungodly stuff that men do that's described in Romans chapter 1. And ladies, women, they ain't ladies. Women do that were described as reprobate. Last days. <clears throat> we're in the last days, say amen. Just by the attitude of people and the attitude towards marriage, we're in the last days. And it's in the days of Noah, they were given and taken in marriage. In other words, what they were doing, they were just marrying a whole lot of people. That's what, was, that's what caused judgment upon this earth. But this pornea, this word pornea means gross, unrepented, sexual sin. That's why it cannot be just for the virgin in betrothal. Because this means much more than adultery that somebody committed while they were engaged. And so it seems clear that Jesus is allowing divorce in this case of gross, unrepented sexual sin. And it does not mean that you ought to divorce your spouse if they've committed adultery. I wish you could hear this. Divorce, even in the, uh, this kind of extreme situation, should always be the last resort. Reconciliation, repentance, and restoration should be sought at all cost. Why? Because it's God's picture. 
Number two, because you made a holy vow to God. And God does not take lightly you vowing to Him and breaking that vow. Say amen. And I want to tell you something, friend. The last time I checked, when a preacher has a ceremony, he says, let's make some vows. And it's not to him. It's to, not just to each other. It's to God. I know some of you don't like this. And folks, I want to tell you something. It seems clear to me that this case uh, like this, I just mentioned that the innocent party is free to remarry. That's what, it, that's, what it, that's what it says right here. But it don't open the door for divorce. It's a lifestyle of open, unrepentant sexual sin. I mean, the guy or the lady has just gone banana. By the way, now there's a lot of it where the ladies are doing this, not just the men. Men get the bad rap all the time, but they're the adulterers. But it's just as bad today with women. So the death penalty was imposed on those that married a virgin or was going to marry a virgin, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10, Deuteronomy 22, verse 20 through 21, Deuteronomy 23, verse 21, and they found out that she really wasn't a virgin. It was a death sentence. It was stoning. So still the word used covers more than, than just sex before marriage, which is terrible. Especially in the Bible days, there was a betrothal, and the, the daddy guaranteed that she was pure. Guaranteed it. See, there were arranged marriages in the Bible days. You didn't, you didn't get married by feelings. You got married because the parents wanted to hook you together. I said often, boy, I bet there were some men and ladies that were really upset with daddy when they saw her face. But anyway, or his face. Let's, go, let's get it equal. Amen. I want to close. I want to close we're giving you one of the most complex passages on divorce and remarriage there is. And that's 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 16. Are y'all interested in this? I tell you, I'm extremely interested in this. And I got extremely five minutes to finish it. Would you, would you listen to me and stop talking? I want to say this. Look at this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And I want you to give you verse 10 through 16. Then we'll close. Well, if you only knew how much I agonized over this message, you would listen to it. If you only know how many hours I studied and, and, and agonized on how I could, you know, get this across in a loving manner, because I'm not afraid to preach the truth. Y'all know me. I just don't want to hurt anybody that's been hurt so, so much because of divorce. I, I have your heart at, at stake here. You've been hurt enough. And I have a heart for people that's been through this. You might not believe that. You might not even be interested in that. But I'm going to tell you something, friend. God help us if we don't take the Word of God and reverence it when it's preached. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10 through 16. We're just going to go down the line. Verse 10, people who marry should stay in a condition. Not, divorce is not an option. Look at this. It says, and unto the married I command, yet not I, but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. Divorce is not an option. But wait a minute. Look at verse 11. But if any, but here's another condition of divorce. But if she depart, let her remain unmarried and be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. 
So people who are married should stay married, but folks, people who are divorced, uh, you shouldn't remarry. You ought to try for reconciliation. And then verse 12 through 14, very misunderstood verses. Look at this. It says, But to the rest speak I not uh, the Lord, if any man, brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Don't divorce her because she's a heathen. You shouldn't have married her in the first place. But look at verse 13. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he please to dwell with her, let her not leave him. In other words, win him to the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Now, I'm not making this up. This is the Word of God, say amen. It says the saved partner uh, should reach the unsaved partner. But look at verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. In other words, friend, uh, he's saying that uh, it's sin for a believer to marry a non-believer. But if you do that, you need to win him to the Lord and that that person uh, is sanctified. That means he's brought into contact with the things of God. That is, it's, you need to win him to the Lord. But look at verse 15. It says, But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So the unbeliever does not want to live with the Christian and departs the believer is not under bondage. The innocent party, quote-unquote, who is deserted by the believing spouse or the unbelieving spouse is free to remarry, according to this Scripture. Assume that the partner who left the marriage will eventually take up another partner of course, he'll, he'll, and then that, there's the exception clause. He will be with another woman uh, constantly. Folks, listen, God has never intended and never intends for anyone to get a divorce. God always has and always will hate divorce. Number two, in conclusion, a Christian should never divorce, but by the help of God, they should reconcile their differences. Amen. Now, I want to tell you something. Some, some of you that are engaged, some of you that think about marriage, if you don't have this as, in your philosophy, don't get married. Because it's God's philosophy. You ought to enter it to be married for a lifetime. And divorce should be eliminated from the Christian vocabulary. Number three. Oh, by the way, no sin is too great to not be conquered if both partners are walking in love one towards another and forgiven. Number three, in conclusion, divorce should be eliminated from the Christian vocabulary. There's only two cases where even it's an option. In both of these cases, unrepented adultery and desertion by an unbeliever. It should be always the last resort. Divorce is never commanded in any situation. Even in the cases of adultery, no one is ordered to get a divorce. You're not commanded to get a divorce. It's reconciliation that should always be the first option. One partner falls into sin and then repents and seeks forgiveness and reconciliation. There should be no divorce. Because by the way, the picture of marriage is God's love towards the church. And I want to ask you a question. How many times has God forgiven you? Amen. He divorced Israel, but he ain't divorcing you. You're eternally saved. Say amen. And by the way, he's going to go get Israel soon. And Israel's going to wake up and say, boy, by the way, since that uh, bill of divorcement he wrote Israel, I don't see much idolatry out of Israel. But I see a lot of religion 
they're without God. Remember the parable of Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 through 35? A guy was put in prison because somebody uh, he, he owed millions of dollars to, and then another guy come around and he owed, uh, they owed him $44. That's what one denarius said. $44, and he would not forgive them. And you know what the, the master did, the Lord did in this parable? He put the man that would not forgive in jail. The worst prison you can ever live in is the prison of unforgiveness. I know my time's up, but folks, if you could ever give me 15 more minutes for any sermon and listen, if you have to slap yourself awake, is this. God forgives, and His people ought to forgive too. I know it ain't easy, and some of you are sitting here saying, I wish I hadn't come this morning because I really want to leave the bum. I really want to leave him. I don't understand, but I understand. And let me just say this. When you do get a divorce, you do not, Church of God, Pentecostal philosophy, live in adultery. And until you go back to that husband, you're stuck in adultery. The unforgivable, unpardonable sin. No, folks, that's impossible. But you have sinned. If you're not biblically divorced, you have, you have sinned. And you need to ask God to forgive you. Now, some of you don't like that. I can tell you right now, you don't like that. Because you think it's all His fault. That's why I never, I never marry people that's been divorced. For the simple reason it is, I've got to be judged. And I have to discern who was the guilty or not guilty party. And I've got to discern whether they got grounds or not. I ain't got time to discern, and I ain't no judge, and I can't make that decision, so I just marry people that's never been married. You don't like that either, but I want to tell you something, friend. I will help you, I will counsel you, I'll do everything I can for you, but folks, I cannot be judge, jury, and trial of whether you had a biblical reason for being divorced. So if you've been divorced, um, I'm sorry I can't do the ceremony. And folks, listen. That's not easy. And I've lost members over it. I've lost friends over it. Dear friends over it. But folks, there is no irreconcilable differences between Christians. There's no such thing. Let the Lord tell us His mind in Mark chapter 10, verse 11 in closing. The Bible says in Mark chapter 10, verse 11, And He saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her, and if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she's committed adultery. So what is marriage anyway? Folks, it's a picture of God's love. And folks, we're foolish to go against God's, God's will on this. We need to do everything we can to make our marriages work. But you know what we really need? We need to let God make it work. I know you're looking at your watch you're in a hurry to go, but listen. Listen. If you're divorced for a non-biblical reason and you're remarried today and you never dealt with that as a sin, you need to come to the altar this, this, this morning and ask God to forgive you. Number two, if you dealt with that sin but you still carry a guilt because of all the things other people think, you need to not care so much what other people think and what God knows. And you need to best your ability to live the rest of your life for the glory of God and not go around like a second-class saint 
wounded by people's thought life and just go on for God, say amen. Come on now, amen. It's easy to be a Pharisee because you ain't, hey listen, you, you're real strict to it happens to your daughter or your, or your son. You're, real, you're, real, you're really against it until it happens to you. And so what you not ought to be is hate divorce, but love the divorcee. Say amen. I'm ready for my wife to buy my lunch. But listen. You need to deal with sin. And then it's forgiven. And he casts it far as the east and the west. And go on for God. Number three, if you're guilty of looking down on others because of their marital status, you need to come to the altar. You need to let the Lord deal with you. If you have a good marriage, here's the main invitation this morning. You need to thank the Lord for him. You need to pray for protection. Because I'm going to tell you something. You ain't exempt from the attack of hell. Hey, buddy, you ain't exempt from it. You might think you and your wife's welded at the elbow and you'll never get un, un, unmarried. But I'm going to tell you something. I've seen the best marriages in this church destroyed by divorce. This church and this preacher was about destroyed by one of you getting a divorce. And what caused the divorce led up to the divorce. And I can't go in detail. It about blew me out of the water and I almost resigned this church because I felt like I was such a failure. I shouldn't have said that because that's going to go out on the internet. You're looking down on others. You need to stop looking down on others. And you need to ask, thank God for the, the grace of God for you to be happily married. Number five, if you see potential trouble coming in your marriage, you need to bow today and say, dear God, help me. If you're married to a lost spouse, you need to bring them to Jesus with all your heart. Let me just say, conclude the invitation. If you're lost, if you're carnal, if you're living in the flesh, you have no grounds for a happy marriage. A spiritual oneness will never come in your life until you're spiritual. God overflows spirit-filled people. And the best you can do in the flesh is manipulate and be selfish and get. I know you're a fine fellow. I know you're a fine lady. But I want to tell you something. Fine fellows and fine ladies don't build marriages. Only God builds marriages. That's why it's so sad, so sad when people marry lost people or carnal people or they have premarital sex or they just take marriage so lightly that they don't even pray about it and they just get married against the parents' wishes and blessing, it's so sad. Because I can almost predict the future. That 60% of Dalton, Georgia has went down the drain because they did not have God in their marriage. It's 1228. Some of y'all left about 15 minutes ago. But I hope you got the message. Let's pray. Father, preaching is not always easy and it's not always the norm of society, but God, it's your word. 
And Lord, I stand corrected if I've contradicted any verse or if I have not included every verse I know about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. But Lord, I, I know that only the Holy Spirit can melt our hearts together in love and only the Holy Spirit can save marriages. And God, if there's ever been a time where we stayed to 1230, listened with all our heart, it ought to be in a country where 60% of marriages don't work. It ought to be in a world where marriage is not even mentioned in Europe anymore. But it's obsolete. Lord, forgive us. Lord, we're, we're getting like the Roman Empire. And Lord, I pray, dear God, that you would not curse this nation for slapping you in the face when it comes to marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Same-sex marriages. God, forgive us. Change in sex marriages. Dear God, please, Lord, please, oh God, please, have mercy upon homes in this auditorium and in this nation. And God, help us. God, help us not to take for granted our godly mates. And God, help those that have not a godly mate. They're married to a hypocrite. They're married to a lost person. I pray, dear God, you give them grace. And you give them strength. And Lord, that you give them forgiveness. That you give them grace to heap coals of fire upon their head. To bring them under Holy Ghost conviction. So Lord, this has been a long series. It's been a long message. But God, I pray that maybe one person will come back close to you and close to their mate as a result of it. And it will be worth it all. With every head bowed, every eye closed.